Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag podcast presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, we're here for episode 46. I am Nicole Escobar and I'm here with mental health counselor, Kristen Torres and our co-host Stevie Esler. Stevie, we missed you. We're so happy you're back. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm healthy. I'm ready. I'm back. Awesome. Kristen, great to have you on today. How are you? How are you doing? Doing good. Good. Good to see you guys. Glad you're back, Stevie. And well, yeah, <laughs> I want to remind everybody too, that, um, just everything we talk about today is, um, you know, for educational purposes only we, this isn't not take the place of advice from your doctor or your therapist, because probably we don't know you or your specific story. So, um, we don't want anything that we say to, um, to count as official advice, but we really hope you're encouraged uh, by what we talk about today. Amen. Yes. So this month we are starting a three-part series and it's going to be on the topic of intimacy and how sexual abuse can affect physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy of a survivor. So this episode is going to be sort of a framework for the rest of the episodes because we first want to look at what intimacy is and what it is not. Then the next episode and the last one, we will be talking about reasons people avoid intimacy and what are some barriers to intimacy. But before we get into it, I want to mention that if you're not married and you think these episodes aren't for you because you might be single or might not even be in a relationship or you might be in a dating relationship, but really don't want to know about intimacy, I want to encourage you to keep listening because they aren't just about sex. Actually, there is very little in this episode and the next one and the next one that have anything to do with sex. But I promise you there is something in here for everyone. And you might be shocked to find out after we're done with the series that you may have some issues or struggles with intimacy that need your attention. So we offer As many of our listeners know, we offer a group healing study at Trees of Hope. And the last unit of that study is on intimacy. Now, that is after we've worked through confrontation, anger, sadness, shame, guilt, uh, false narratives, um, forgiveness, things like that. So intimacy is the last unit because people think that because they're physical, maybe with their husband, that they are great with intimacy. They don't realize that a survivor may struggle with emotional intimacy and even spiritual intimacy. So this unit was a huge eye-opener for me. I realized that I had major intimacy issues when I went through it. And when we realize we have an issue, the best thing to do is to not ignore it, not minimize it, but address it and deal with it. So I hope that this is going to be an episode that is going to really encourage you and help you to know how do you approach intimacy and how do you get better at it? Because it's definitely a skill to be learned. 
So first, what is intimacy? So the definition is basically the closeness between people in personal relationships. It's what builds over time as you connect with somebody, as you grow to care about each other and you feel more comfortable during your time together. It can include physical or emotional closeness or even a mix of the two. Intimacy for a survivor can be very difficult, especially if you are new to the healing journey or if you've never started to experience healing. But over time, I promise you, it's a necessary skill to learn and you will learn it over time. So some of the skills that you will learn are identify your feelings, recognize whether another person is trustworthy and to talk about your feelings and to understand actually what you're feeling and maybe to be able to communicate that to the other person. So intimacy requires the ability to set and maintain boundaries. People don't really equate boundaries with intimacy, but trust me, the best relationships have strong boundaries. Intimate relationships also disclose personal and private matters when and if you choose. So when I was preparing this study, I was thinking about a recent event that happened to me where I applied for something and on that application, I had to add some traumatic events that I had walked through. And one of them obviously was sexual abuse. So I added that. Well, this company or organization later called me and they wanted to know the details that pertain to my sexual abuse. I, I, I was super pissed off about it. Trust me, I got so angry that this even came up. But I, because I have worked through a lot of the healing and I have been able to know how I want to communicate my story and to who and who deserves the details and who doesn't deserve the details, I was able to communicate back to this person and say, I was sexually abused at six years old. What else do you need to know? Like, that's it, right? There's nothing more that needs to be on the table here. So that is because I've worked through a lot of this myself. I've experienced what giving somebody information and details that they didn't deserve or they hadn't earned my trust looks like and how that felt made me feel shame and made me feel embarrassed. And I knew I didn't want to feel that, especially with this specific person. So I think, you know, when we look at this topic of intimacy, let's look at it through the lens of we're taking back control of our lives and we're taking back the ability to love others, love ourselves and to do it in a way that's on our terms and the way that we want, right? With what we want to share and what we don't want to share with people. And we want to share things and we want to trust people who are trustworthy, who show and prove that they are wanting to form long-term meaningful relationships and who also desire a mutual intimacy with you. Um, you intimacy can also look like the ability to accept the fact that no human being will ever be able to meet all of your needs. I know oftentimes I hear my married friends or friends that, you know, are in dating relationships say, well, I expect my husband or my boyfriend to meet that need or to know what I want. And that's not reality, right? Like I don't know my husband's every need in life. So how am I, and how is he going to ever meet every single need of mine? But I know somebody who can meet all your needs and that is God. 
right? And he should be the only one that we look to and depend on to meet our needs emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And I know that may seem weird, but he can meet your physical needs too in different ways. So the other one is intimacy is the ability to risk, to risk taking the initiative in relationships and truly giving of yourself and allowing someone to know you. And that's warts, failures, you know, bad decisions, shameful events, and all. <clears throat> it's also the ability to keep secrets, but not be a secret to somebody. Intimacy is the ability to give and to receive love. So Kristen, I gave some examples of um, what intimacy looks like. Can you help us understand what it means to be intimate physically and emotionally and even spiritually? And also when we're talking about that in the context of a marriage, what a lot of times I see women who are physically, physically intimate with their husbands, but not emotionally. And I know both are very important. Can you speak into that? Sure. Um, I think when I think of the word um, intimacy or think about that concept, I think of um, being seen and known. Um, I think that's a, a big hallmark of intimacy. Um, and that seen and known is, I think I would say uh, being known um, and seen fully. So kind of like you said a little bit, um, you know, a few minutes back, like warts and all, right. So the, the good, the bad, and the, and the ugly, as they say, um, you know, and how this looks like, for example, emotional intimacy in marriage, I think that an example of what that could look like um, is being able to acknowledge um, kind of, again, the good, if we go back to that, the concept of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So being able to acknowledge that you love that person, but at times you may really hate that person and to acknowledge what your, um, what your intentions are at times, like, yeah, I said that to hurt you. And I'm sorry, because I wanted to hurt you back. Like you hurt me when we had this, this conversation, that kind of a thing. So it's really, um, I think it requires being genuine, vulnerable, honest, you know, all of those things. And again, in being okay with not looking good all the time, because if it's always, I think what is something that gets in the way of intimacy and relationships, relationships is if we are always trying to make sure we look okay, or we are perceived as okay or good or not bad or any of those things, then we can't really be intimate with someone, you know, because be allowing ourselves to be intimate or close with someone to be seen and to be known is to be willing to talk about things that are not that we're not proud of, you know, because that's a part of all of us. We all have times when we are not um, wanting the best for someone else or wanting the best for ourselves or um, so, so again, not good intentions, not loving well and so forth. So that emotional intimacy, again, I think has to do with um, being vulnerable, being honest, being genuine, owning your side of the street, you know, and taking responsibility. So it's, there's a level of maturity that I think is required to be able to have that type of intimacy with someone. Cause I think you have to be intentional and you have to be willing to also look at yourself um, in a very real and honest way. Um, I think the physical intimacy um, is an overflow of emotional intimacy. You really cannot be physically 
intimate in a deep way with someone, if you don't have the emotional intimacy there, you may be physically close to someone. You can have sex with someone or or do sexual things with someone that you don't know and you don't have emotional intimacy with. But I would say, I'm not so sure how much that is actual intimacy though. That's just sex or those are just sexual things, you know? And I think, I think we can all probably understand that, but there's a big difference when we're talking about um, coming together physically um, based on emotional closeness, emotional intimacy that's already there. So I think both are important in marriage, but I think it's very hard to be um, physically close without having that emotional intimacy there, because I think what can happen is that it can just become transactional, you know, and and there's a part of you that's not really connecting um, physically or emotionally in that physical connection, if that makes sense, just going through the motions, that kind of thing. And when someone is a survivor of any sort of sexual abuse or sexual trauma, um, it's very, it's very likely that this er- there are challenges in this area of being fully present and allowing yourself to be fully known and fully seen because that's, that area of, of being fully known and fully seen was, um, it was forced, that closeness was forced upon you by someone, mm-hmm. you know? And so naturally um, the end result of that is a shame or a hiding And so that's why going through this healing process and recognizing where you may be holding back or maybe blocking um, is going to be really important um, to be able to be more physically, um, um, to actually have intimacy in your physical connection. Is that helpful? Very good. Yeah, no, I I love that. Um, Because I, when you talked about the transactions, that's not mm-hmm. what marriage is meant to be. I, you know, I, I've been married for six years now. And like, I think of, I mean, I can't help my husband knows it because I brought this up to him, but like, you know, you think of past relationships where you just did things physically that, you know, really didn't touch your heart. It just did it just to do whatever. And in this relationship, that's my marriage. That's my one and only, this is my life partner, my forever. It's, it's an, it's like an intense feeling when you can connect the physical and the emotional and right. the spiritual, all three, it, right. it becomes such a, like, it even gave me goosebumps just talking about it. So it's like one of those things that's, it's so magical. And when you have it, you want to, sorry, I don't know why I'm crying, but it's something that you want to hold on to and protect as much as you can. It's a beautiful thing, right? And it's unique. And I think that's one of the reasons that it brings emotion to you because we're not talking about an everyday occurrence in the checkout line, right? Like this is something that is special, that is unique, that is to be protected. You know, and I know you asked about spiritual intimacy as well. And so I think what that looks like is I think being able to, um, again, be seen and known to come together and to to have, um, to pray with one another and connect in a spiritual way. Um, especially in those hard times when you may not have answers for things 
and you don't know why you may be struggling together as a couple, but to come together and pray together and say, we don't know, we, we're stuck. We don't understand, but you do know this Lord. And we're bringing this to you. Like that's an example of that spiritual intimacy that can happen with another person of like the acknowledgement. We're simply human. We are limited or we're stuck or we're angry or we're hurting or we're afraid or we're on the verge of who know, you know, this like feeling like it's going to collapse, but yet we're coming to you, Lord, and we're trusting you and we're submitting ourselves, you know, to you. And it takes two humble hearts to get there. <laughs> I will right. say that because I, I know there's times where I've tried to force conversations, try to force that thing that we're talking about. And, you know, it hit with blocks. And then there's times where I've come with a humble heart before yeah. my husband and said, this is the thing that I'm struggling with. I'm, I'm hurt here or whatever. And always met, you know, and that's why you marry the right person, right? It's always met with tenderness when you approach it with tenderness, right? Although I'm just going to interject on that. I'm glad you said that the marry the right person. If it's not always going to look like you married the right person every single day, it will not, that's, it's not always going to look that way. And it doesn't mean you didn't marry the right person. True. Yeah. 24 seven, we are not <laughs> perfect and not perfectly um, loving and all of those things, right? There's some days or some times or even some seasons where it may, may feel like, what the heck did I do? Who did I choose here? And unless we're talking about instances of very clear abuse, that's a whole different story. Okay. That needs to be intervened. That's not okay. Um, but when we're not talking about an ex- extreme examples like that, um, then yeah, there's going to be times when you're going to feel like maybe I didn't marry the right person, but it doesn't mean you married the wrong person. That just means you're going through a hard time. You married a fellow sinner that is still a work in progress. Like that is what we are doing in marriage is like working it out. And so the beautiful times don't happen all the time. There's times when it is rough, Yeah, you know, but yeah. Cause I just say that because I think sometimes people, um, we have that picture in our head, right. Where we want things to, um, look a certain way. And if they don't, then sometimes we can feel like we made a huge mistake, but my encouragement to you is if you're married to that person, then you're married to that person. Unless we're talking about extremes. Um, it is a privilege to walk alongside someone else who is also in process, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. I like that. You said that a lot. Cause I know a lot of people nowadays don't stay committed and they choose the easy option of getting divorced rather than work through stuff. And again, you're saying abusive relationships, you know, manipulation, horrible, toxic things, bad. Let's separate what we're talking category that, yeah, yeah, that needs intervention. Right. But when we're talking about the normal everyday stuff, you know, there's going to be tension. There's going to be, there's going to be arguments sometimes and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's what continuing to walk along. And that's what produces intimacy as well, by the way, yep. is I am going to continue to walk with you even when it's hard. Yep. You know, I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm with you even when it's hard and scary and I don't know where we're headed. Great. That's so good. Love it. Stevie would love to hear your perspective. So what is intimacy and do you have some relationships that you can speak about when it comes to intimacy? Yeah. So since I'm single, my relationships just like, they look different. Like my intimacy 
really at the end of the day, my intimacy really stems from like my core people in my life. And so that would, I have a great relationship with my parents. That's the, you know, like they have, they have a, you know, it's like, I feel like there's like almost like the levels of intent of intimacy. And so it's like, my parents have this like interesting intimacy with me because they, you know, they, they birthed me, they raised me, they, they know little Stevie, but like 38 year old Stevie, they know really well, but they don't, they're not in the, in, you know, they're not in my head all the time. Like, I mean, we talk, but we don't talk every single day. They're, they're my, they're my parents still like, they're my friends, but they're not my best friends. Um, I love them. I mean, I love them dearly, but my parents are my, my parents are my friends, but they're my parents first still. That's kind of the relationship that we have, which I actually really like that relationship. Um, and then I have, you know, like now my brother and I, my brother is one of my best friends. My brother and I talk about a lot. Of, like we talk, sometimes I feel like there's literally nothing off the table because we will talk about everything, uh, which I really, really appreciate. And he and I, I mean, wow, we have, we have like a really, really special. And when people are around us, like, oh, you guys are really close. My, oh yeah. Like he's, he's my best friend. And we live, far, I mean, we live, you know, a few hours away from each other, but we, we talk a few times a week and we keep up like, we, and we, he asks, we both ask very intentional questions, you know, like he asks more about my, he, it's funny. He asks, I feel like more personal, sometimes intentional questions where now I'm asking about the kids because they've got, you know, some cute, some cute kids. So I want to know about that where I don't need to know the intimacy of he and his wife's relationship. I mean, they talk about stuff, but I don't need to have, you know, those details. And then I also have like my best friend relationships. And so those, and I have a couple very, very, very close friends who know the inner workings of my crazy mind at times. And they would be my most like intimate relationships uh, right now, like where they, yeah, they know what's like, they know what's going on. They check in. Um, I check it, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a two-way street. It's not a one-way street because I think the, the one-way street can be very interesting um, in the long run and, and can hurt too, honestly, at the end of the day, it can really do some hurt whenever there's just one. But then also, I don't know if we're actually gonna talk about this a little bit, but also you have to be, I think just being a single girl, you have to be really um, aware of like codependency too, because of not having a husband right now, you know, it's like, I, when I come home, I'm in, I live by myself. So it's like, whenever I come home, I'm home. Like, I'm just, it's just me and my dog who I talk to, like she's a human. And so I, like we have, you know, it's like, I have that type of, you know, we have those friendships, but then that codependent friendship, I think also just being like, hi, I'm, I am hyper aware because I have had not like the extreme codependent relationships, but I have had like a little bit of the emotional where it's like, okay, we're spending so much time together that can I do anything apart from this person? And I will say, you know, that like, gosh, I, I've been in, in June. Yeah. In June, which is wild. It will be 11 years that I have like consistently gone to counseling. So it's, you know, it's like, we've talked about this before in other episodes where it's like, you know, sometimes it's, there are seasons where it was weekly. There are seasons. It was every other week. It was monthly. Like right now we're in like the every month or so. Um, it just depends on sometimes my schedule. And then, but I also know myself if I need to get in and talk, I will. But at the very beginning, I remember when I started first going to counseling, we were looking at a lot of like just relationships and sure. Like we can, we looked at a lot of my like past, like sexual relationships and there was 
literally no intimacy. And we talked to my counselor and I talked a lot about that. And there's just, you know, there's a, there is a wall that gets put up um, when any, I think any type of sexual abuse happens, there's a walls just start getting put up and, and it depends on how thick your wall is, you know? Um, but with, we, we start, you know, she's talking about codependency and I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm sitting back there like, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple friendships that I would say definitely would put into the category, um, you know, but it, they didn't go into the, you know, it's like, I, I have a handful, I have more than a handful of friends that have had codependent, like physical relationships where there's been so much intimacy and like, that's, that's not my story, but I have had the friendships where intimacy has been a lot, like, it's just been a, I would say almost so emotional, like so emotional that it just, yeah, it, it wasn't. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, whenever I was a little bit older, I, was, I could stand back and see like, okay, that wasn't a healthy relationship. Like now a couple of those I'm still good friends with, and we now have very healthy relationships, but I also like young and in your 20, like twenties, like there is a, I don't know, it's just an interest. It's just different. Like it really mm -hmm. is just so different. And not that I'm this like old wise soul by any means, but my view on a lot of the intimacy stuff now looks just so different being a single 38 year old. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it, it, you know, they, they do, they, uh, relationships are going to ebb and flow. And I feel like that's how kind of intimacy is with, um, with people in your life, unless you're married. Um, so it's just a, I don't know, it's just a different. So it's like, there are seasons I feel like where you're I don't know. I don't want to say like super intimate with your friends and family, but there are seasons where it's kind of like you really let them in. And then there are seasons where you don't like you just, it really, I don't know. That's just, that's just my personal. It's like, the but very, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I don't think that we're necessarily, and, and also I think that we can still consider our relationships like intimate, even when we're not necessarily disclosing all kinds of heavy duty mm -hmm. things because yeah. seasons do change. Like, um, we're going through different things. Busyness happens, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, we can still have be seen and known by that person without mm -hmm. it being every day, every time yeah. seen and known, because that's yep. also a lot. Oh yeah. And right? I would say, and, I, and like a prime example for me for that is my best friend, who really is my ride or die, but she just had twins that added children's four and five. So she now has five kids under the eight, you know, eight and under that's a, like, she's busy and she works full time. So yeah. she's so busy. And, you know, like we, we don't talk, you know, like there was, there was a time when we did talk all, you know, like every day yeah. and, you know, now, like we actually, we spent about an hour and a half on the phone last week, just catching up. Cause we had not talked in about three weeks, like actually, I mean, we had texted a couple of times, just kind of checking in, but we hadn't really like, you know, dug in deep. And sure. so we spent about an hour and a half and I laughed. Cause like we, one of the things that I appreciate so much about my best friend, Mel, is that whenever, like we'll go on a walk and there's no like fluff chit chat at the beginning. It like, we dive in, like there is like our relationship, the intimacy in our relationship, we dive in right away. It's like, we literally walk out the driveway and we start walking down the street to go walk. And it's like, okay, tell me what's going on. Nope. Tell me what's really going on. Yeah. And we yeah. started that as a relationship. Even I would say whenever I moved here about 10 years ago, about 11 years ago, we, that's, that's whenever I, I, you know, it's like, okay, later twenties. And there was like, okay, we have, we can chit chat all we want, but like, if we're going to be intentional about our time together for the next like two hours, let's be intentional about our time. And so that's like that intimate, like that type of intimacy 
is awesome. It is where you can pick up right where you left off. And it is like, just like you said, like that's, I think that's a huge, huge, huge thing. Cause I do have, I mean, I've got a bunch of friends that would have been, you know, I would, I would still probably, I would still actually call them like some of my best friends that don't, I don't talk to them all the time anymore, but whenever we do talk, you know, every month or so, every other month, we dive deep and we're like, we already have that great intimacy. That's, that's our, that's been built up over time. Yeah. And so we took the time, you know, like we took the time when we were younger to really get to know each other and to get to know each other's hearts and what made us like, what made each of us tick. And now, you know, it's like everything, all of our, all of our, how we all tick just looks different. Cause I've got some friends now who are stay-at-home moms and some who are work, you know, working moms. I have some friends who don't have kids and some friends who have five kids. And, you know, so it's like at all of our different levels of friendship, but I will say there, yeah, there is that intimacy across the board. That's the foundation at the end of the day. Like we took the time to really get to know each other. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And that's what I mean. I mean, now, like whenever I want to say like when I'm choosing new friends, but whenever I'm making new friends, especially in the last like year and a half, I moved outside the city. So I live like, I don't even want to say like a little suburb. Cause I'm like almost out. Like I'm like borderline country. <laughs> And I've, but I've made new friends, um, some new friends, and it's been really fun getting to know these other ladies on just a new level. Like, but we're like in the intro stages. So we're in the foundation steps of building a friendship, you know, that could lead to like some, some intimacy of like actually really getting to know each other and supporting each other. And I think that's probably one of the, I think maybe support would be one of the strongest words that I would use in as a, as a, um, Oh my gosh. I can't even think of it. Uh, as a Bert. No. Oh my. Anyways, I would say yeah, support like, is one of the qualities of an, in, yes, like an intimacy there, in a friendship <laughs> relation. Yeah. 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 There we go. I could, my yeah, words are not it's there. Support. It's Friday. Y'all it's the, this is my like Friday brain as we're recording this, but yeah, I think <laughs> having the word support is huge mm-hmm. to me. And so, and I will say that's like, you know, from even different like dating relationships that I've had, like whenever there's been a different level of support, except especially for me as a single like business owner, like I, you know, like I own a business I'm running, I'm like, I'm full on running a business. I have staff and everything. And so whenever I'm in a relationship with a, with a, with guys, I need some of those, I need them to also like support me in this because if they're not going to support me in this, how do I actually like you know, how do I build on, how do I build any type of intimacy without like having the support? So. Right. That's so support good. Yeah. Love that. That was all so good. Okay. So now let's review what intimacy is not. So the first thing it's not is self-pity. So I know most of us don't like to admit that we wallow in self-pity or we practice self-pity. I absolutely never want those words to be associated with my name, but the reality is, is that we do. A lot of us pout and we display oversensitivity in various ways. We say things like, why did this have to happen to me? I just heard myself saying that like the other day, like as if I deserve some like grand, like rolling carpet of some sort, you know, but we don't. Um, But when it comes to sexual abuse, please have a good cry. Be upset about what's happened to you as often as necessary, but pray that you get past the stage of self-pity because prolonged self-pity will isolate you even more. Um, I don't know if you've ever, and you're going to hear me say this a few times, but I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who 
it just wallows in self-pity or just has that a part of their personality, it's hard to be around them. It is. And because it's it feels like a lot of the time you have to remind them of the good in life and 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 or be a cheerleader. And for me, I can't always be on when I'm around certain people, right? So you know, just keep that in mind that it's something you have to work through and it is a necessary thing to, to overcome feeling like a victim. So don't think for one second that we are saying that it is wrong to feel sorrow or grief, but grieving does not equal self-pity. It will get you mired down in painful emotions, self-pity will, and it will cause you to continue to re-victimize yourself. So you can develop the ability to feel your pain and then respond appropriately to it. It's a trait that I am learning more recently. And I'm actually like, wow, I'm learning how to do this, which is I feel hurt. And instead of reacting with anger or a secondary emotion, I'm identifying what it is that I'm truly feeling. And I'm trying to say you're feeling hurt or betrayed right now. So don't respond to try to hurt or betray the other person so that they feel equally, you know, on your level. So in time, you will become more aware of how your feelings and sorrow will affect your capacity to experience healthy intimacy and relationships. Kristen, how is self-pity not helpful to a survivor? Yeah, I think um, I was trying to kind of see how we could clearly differentiate. And I think that self-pity, I probably would see it as like cyclical where you're almost stuck, where it's just going in a circle, a get a rumination again and again and again, like, why did this have to happen? Why did this have those kind of things? I think um, there is absolutely a grieving that happens when we recognize the effects of the abuse or whatever has happened to us in the past. And I think it's a really, really important part um, of the healing process is that grieving, that acknowledgement of the, um, the pain that was caused, the harm that was caused by what was done, but it's different when you're stuck and it's in a circle again and again and again, why, but why, but why that kind of a thing, just because I think it's just not constructive. That's the other part of it is too, part of it as well. It's not actually going to be helpful to just stay stuck in that. And so if you're finding yourself stuck in self-pity, I think it probably would be a good thing to talk to someone about that to kind of help find your way out of it. Again, this is different than grieving. Grieving is a really important part of that process. Um, feeling that sorrow, connecting with your smaller self, especially if this is something or some things that happened to you when you were a child is a hugely important part of healing is having compassion for what that little girl or that little boy went through. That's a huge part of healing. And that has to, that I see that happen in every person that I work with is that connection with that smaller you that went through that. Um, that's a big part of the healing process, but staying in the place of why did this happen to me? Why does poor, poor me, poor, that kind of a thing is what I think, you know, we're talking about with self-pity and that's just, it's not constructive. It's not going to get you anywhere and it's not going to actually help with your healing. And just like similar to what you said, Nicole, the re-victimization, I think it's also very disempowering. So if you're, if that's the mindset that you're in and you're stuck in that cyclical pattern of thinking about it again and again and again, then 
you're going to feel like there's nothing that you can do to move forward. This is just what has happened to you. And that's like the end of the story, but that's just not what's true. There's a lot that can happen. And that's why we're, you know, of course, always encouraging people, you know, to seek out healing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to stay in that place, that stuck place of why, why, why that kind of thing. Yeah. And it damages those intimate relationships, right? When, when someone is in that mindset. Sure. Well, think about it. If that's the place that you're stuck at, how are you able to actually really connect with someone else? Right. Because that intimacy does require like, um, caring for yourself and for the other person an interest in yourself and the other person. And if it is only about why did, you know, I go through this, why did this happen to me? This happened to me. And you're stuck in that place. Then the other person's almost invisible. Mm. So good. You're in, it's your, it, it, it isolates you. So good. Stevie, how have you struggled with self-pity and how did you overcome it? I've de- yeah, I've definitely struggled with self-pity. I think it's, for me, it's, it, I, it's, I say, I go back to counseling. Honestly, it's like, whenever I like, I'm like, okay, what am I being really hard on my, it's like, I'm being really hard on myself. And then I'm just sitting there kind of in this like this puddle, it's just this wallowing puddle that I don't want to get out of, but I know I need to get out of. And so some big things for me is I check in with the people that I know are cheerleaders for me. And so it's, and it's also looking to the, to like back kind of like to the root of it. Okay. Why am I feeling this way? Is it, have I not, you know, it's like now that I literally, like I said, like I live out in the country. So have I not seen friends? Have I only seen my staff? for maybe a week or two because we've been so slammed that I have been so tired. I didn't want to do anything on the weekend, which means I didn't get my, you know, like my battery recharged by, cause I'm a, I am, I'm, you know, it's like, I really, I laugh. I'm like, I'm the 50, 50 introvert extrovert. Like I want my time. And I feel like the older I get, I want more of my own time. But also I know that like me being by myself, sure. That's going to rest my body but it's not going to give me the rejuvenation that I need for everything else. And so that's like, okay, I need to schedule, like I need to go on a walk with a friend this weekend. I need to go grab drinks with the girls. I need to go have dinner. I need to go hang out with some friends who have kids who I love hanging out with their kids. I mean, I do that. Like I've got, I've got some friends who I go over to dinner at their house, maybe like every two or three weeks on a Saturday night. Cause I get to hang out with their kids and it's just fun to like be a part of that type of like that family. Cause I don't have that, you know, in my own life right now. And so to go be a part of that. So that's how, that's how I get out of it. I mean, but also, yes, there are times when I have laid in my bed and I have cried and I've cried and I've cried and my pillowcase is soaking wet from tears because I just laid there and I just let like, I've just let the sat, like sometimes like the sadness just kind of like pour out of me. And that doesn't happen all the time, but yeah, there are seasons of that. And for me too, like that also goes back to some of my like depression, anxiety. And so it's like making sure that I'm like, I, I do take, you know, I take a really low dosage of Wellbutrin, but that help that helps me. And so that also helps keeping me from having the super highs and the super lows, um, which you do. I like, I mean, yes, you do want to be able to feel things. I definitely, I'm like, a, I'm a feeler. Like I am, I will cry at the drop of a dive. I watch a Publix commercial and I start crying. So it's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> so it definitely is. It's the emotion is there, but yeah, that's, I just, I have to check myself and see why am I feeling this way? And I would say a majority of the time now where I'm at, like my self pity comes from 
just not being filled up with the the things that fill up my cup. So, and that's, you know, spending time with friends, family, get, I mean, traveling, like that's another thing too. It's like, just, I need to, I've got to find what works for me. And that's, that's what works for me right now. So it's almost like self-pity is like an indicator that you need connection. Yep. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, you know, it's the, you know, it's like, I, I was looking back at some, like some, just our notes and stuff for this. And, um, you know, like the question, like we say, why did this happen to me? And so that's what, that's the, like, if, and if I go back into like my sexual abuse, you know, I like, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm over this, but there, I'm so far out removed from my sexual abuse now that I, did I quit? Did I question that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Y- yeah. All the time. Like that was a question that was always through my head. I mean, in high school and in college and at the very mm-hmm. beginning of counseling, 11 years ago, like that was in my head all the time. Like, why did this happen to me? Why I came from a good Christian family. Like mm-hmm. I've, I mean, I like, so really that, but now, you know, 30 years past whenever my sexual abuse first started, like now I just have a different mindset. So now I don't think why did this happened to me? It's now it's okay. Why am I feeling the self-pity, which is, you know, like I said, like it's do what, what do I need my cup to, to overflow with right now? I love that point that you said, because um, oftentimes when we're self-pity, we don't reach out. We isolate ourselves even more. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, obviously, it perpetuates the loneliness that we feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's always been something that I've tried to do as well, which is when I feel like, like you know, whoa, man, <laughs> why does this have to happen to me? Like, so just text somebody and just say, hey, I need you. Um, or I need this, or can you pray for me in this way? And, and it's always met with like, a, like friends. It's always met with like true, honest friendship. And I love that. All right. So the next one is anger. So anger is another reaction to unmet needs of intimacy to feel angry about your abuse and what you experience is totally appropriate. However, anger can also be a barrier to intimacy. To continue to move forward in the healing journey, you must learn to express your anger in a healthy way and go beyond the anger to a different stage of healing. You hurt yourself if you remain stuck in that anger stage. So Kristen, tell us, how does anger affect intimacy? Well, I think if it's anger having to do with what happened to you, and again, it's it's where it's like in going in a circle, like a hamster wheel in your mind. Yes, that can definitely affect intimacy because I I think, um, think of yourself almost like you're prickly at that time, like a porcupine, right? You're not going to want anyone close to you probably during that. So naturally it's going to affect people being able to be close to you. And you, and a lot of times what we struggle with is wanting closeness and not wanting closeness at the same time. Right. But that is that we're prickly right then, you know, have you ever felt that way before Yeah, Yeah. where it's like, anybody comes close to me, it's like, (laughs) You know, I'll snap like, you real fast. Very right. Fast. And I, it, right. And I think that's what that anger has to do with. And so it's going to keep you, I, it's again, it's similar to self-pity, right? It's going to keep you isolated. It's going to keep you away from people because you're kind of prickly. Um, so yeah, I, or you're very much prickly better said it depends, you know? So yes, anger, figuring out and working through your anger is really, really important. And anger will come again, too, anger is just not a one-time emotion. I mean, anger is, it can be an ongoing reaction to things. And sometimes that's also the way we've learned. Um, it's so comprehensive. The bottom line, I don't, there's like a lot of ways I can go with it, but anger is a natural reaction 
to um, being harmed or being hurt. So working through that, identifying it, figuring out healthy ways to kind of, to process through that is really important because otherwise, again, it will isolate you um, and you will tend to take that anger out on those that are try to get closest to you. So not everyone's going to stick around for that is the other part of it, you know? So true. Yeah. So Stevie, so how has anger or, you know, have you experienced anger in relationships that you've had to overcome in order to continue that intimacy with that, with someone? Yeah. So it's happened a couple of times where I've just been, it's like fury. It's just like the, the fury madness. And, um, for me personally, a lot of times it's okay. I just need, I I've just got to talk to this person. Like I've got to, we've got to talk it out. Like I've, and I'm also a, I'm like the, in the internal processor. So it's like, I, I'm, sometimes I'm real quick on the wit. I laugh. Like I'm like the, sometimes I'm, I get that comeback so fast. I'm like, Whoa, that was good. And then other times, you know, it's like, I walk away from the conversation. I'm like, man, I didn't even stick up for myself. I didn't say anything. Like I just sat there and just kind of took it. Um, and then I'm, then I'm like, I'm angry more at myself. Honestly, it's not usually the, it's honestly, usually hardly ever the other person. I'm usually angry at myself that I, just sat there and took it. And so then I verbally, I'm verbally processing to myself, mentally processing. And so I'm like solo processing everything that just happened. And I'm wanting to go back and have the same conversation, but I'm having, you know, the same, same conversation, but now I'm interjecting my verbiage that I did not say the first time. So a lot of times it was a, I had follow-up conversations with friends like, Hey, listen, we finished that conversation. And I, I felt like crap afterwards. And like, I want to talk to you about a few things. And so just talk, like just, it's the talking it out. Um, but then also I like, I'm not, I'm just not really an angry person. Like it takes, you really got to push my buttons to get me into like a whole other level of anger. Um, it, which it can, it can happen. And it, and if that does happen, it's usually because someone else has been hurt, which is that I just, it's usually not for myself. It's usually, someone's been hurt and I'm so mad that that, that person's been hurt and I want to go defend them and stand up for them. And so that's, that's where I have. Um, although there have been a couple of times I used to have a punching bag and sometimes like if I got mad, I just walk over and all I have to do is like one, two, and I was done. I was like, Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's out. <laughs> it's out. So that's good. Good stuff. Okay. The third one is hardness of heart. So sometimes victims react by developing a hardness of heart, by putting a shell around themselves or bullying weaker people. So again, this type of content is something that I went through when I went through the group portion that we offer at Trees of Hope. And guys, I when that when I went through this, because it comes with a workbook and you actually have to explain your answers and where you've, you know, have a hard heart. I recognize that I was doing this to my husband and what was happening was I was not getting certain needs met in the beginning of our relationship from him. And instead of talking to him and saying, hun, I need to talk about this. My feelings feel hurt. Or like, I feel like you don't love me when you do blank and blank. Right. Cause I, although I think I know a lot of my heart and a lot of my feelings, I couldn't really put them into words maybe to even communicate at the time what I was feeling. I just felt anger and upset. And so when what I would do is start disrespecting him, I would start belittling him. And it wasn't until I, you know, I pray my prayer consistently is God sanctify my heart, 
show me evil ways in my heart or ways that are just not pleasing to you. I pray it all the time. And that does not make me some sort of saint. I just, it's something I truly want God to show me. And God shows up all the time and shows me that stuff. So I'm constantly calling people and saying, Hey, I'm sorry. I said that the other day. I I know five weeks ago, um, I, you know, you ordered a salad and I took half the salad and that was selfish. I didn't even consider you like things like that. And so God revealed to me about this, that I was disrespecting my husband. And the way that I overcome a hard heart is to address it, to not hide it, to not ignore it, to not minimize it, but address it. And so we went for a walk and I said, I, we were walking. I was like, babe, I was like, I got to bring something up. And he was like, what? Like, oh God, like what happened? And I'm like, um, I'm sorry. I have been super disrespectful lately. And I noticed it and I'm sure you noticed it too. And he's like, I have noticed it. And you're, you're being like, you're belittling me and you're constantly like, you're being a bully. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) And he was like, I forgive you, but we have to, we have to stop that. Like we have to, we can't, I don't receive love when you do that to me. And so it hurt my heart that I hurt him. And it also hurt my heart that like, how did I get here? Like, how did we get here? And so I just had to take an honest look at myself and try to ask the hard questions of how did my heart get hard? And it was because I had this unrealistic expectation of my husband of that relationship. And I wanted certain things met that I wasn't communicating effectively to him. And instead I thought I was communicating by being like disrespectful. So the way to overcome that is I've been asking God constantly and I truly have gotten much better. And I asked my husband just recently, I was like, have you felt that way? You know, recently he's like, no, no, it's like, literally it was like gone after you brought it up. But it's because I said to God, please give me a tender heart towards my husband and the areas that I'm so disappointed in, please help me to work through. Cause I need to get over this. This is hurting me. It's keeping me like a captive. And I I was created to be free and I'm not living that free life right now. So God, show me how to do this better. And I just, I keep going back to with a hard heart, it takes humility and being honest and going to God and saying, God, do I have a hard heart? Please show me the areas that are hard towards not only you, but your people and, and the people you've given me to be in life with, right? So Kristen, how can a heart keep someone from having intimate relationships? I mean, that honestly, Nicole, you're, what you shared was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a perfect example. Like, I don't know how much more I can expand on that. Like, I think <laughs> it was, yeah, it's just, and I think, um, I think sometimes this has to do with that self-protection too. We don't want to be hurt or we become afraid. And so we harden our hearts more and block other people out. So think about that. Like to have intimacy, it does require us to have a level of flow going on and openness, right? And if we are hard, if we have a hard heart, that's going to block flow from happening. So it's just naturally, it's going to get in the way of intimacy, you know, because think about when you feel close and safe with another person, like you feel that intimacy, I would imagine um, you would could probably say like, there's a flow, there's freedom, there's like fresh air, like you have that feeling of like fresh air coming in. Like that's how you feel when you're around that person. And so a hardened heart is going to block that, mm. you know, so that, but, but the, best way to soften your heart is exactly what you're talking about, Nicole, that that we know of. And that is bringing them back to the Lord 
in humility and just saying exactly what you did. Just praying like, you know, Lord, show me what I need to do. Help me with this, soften this, heal this, all of those things. That's the best way I can share to, to, to soften. Love that. Stevie, do you have any reflections you want to add here? Yeah, I just, it goes back to, uh, Christian, you kind of tapped into it a little bit too. It's just like, it's the self, it's the self-protection. And Mm. I know for me, my, for me, I, I created a, um, I would say like I had a brick wall and then I had like a concrete wall. I'm like, I, as I like, I had like the, I had the whole like building wrapped around my heart and it took different friendships for me to like chipping, like friendships, like chipping away at it. Um, where now it's, it's funny. Like I have, I just have, like, it's just different. Like there is, there's a, like, there's a, there really is like a tent, like it's a tenderness that a tender heart that I, I've always, like I had it, but it just had been so boarded up and built around that it wasn't evident to everyone. It's like only certain people got to see that tender side of me growing up, honestly. And, um, I remember actually, this is actually going back. This is 10 years ago. I had just been in counseling for about like four or five months. My brother and sister-in-law got married and we were at their, um, rehearsal dinner and, you know, everyone's getting up and giving speeches. And of course I got up and I gave like, you know, just talking about my brother and I started crying and people were like, Oh, our so we like family friends who grew up with us had really never seen me cry. And so seeing me cry, you know, over that, like over just like memories of my brother and I just what a great guy, is, you know, and I had friends like Stevie, I've never seen you cry. Like I've known you for 20 something years and I've never really seen you cry. Like I just was, had this like tough, like tough toughness. And, but it was honestly, like, I, I always go back to this. I'm like, counseling really is, I have a before counseling life and I have an after, after I started counseling life. And after I started counseling, I, my walls really started breaking down and there, and I feel like I cry, I cry so much more. I'm like making up for all the tears that I did not cry for 20 something years. Now it's like, there really is. It's like the Publix commercial really does make me cry. Um, like there's been a couple times already this, just this morning I've choked up just to, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. Like, but I'm just, it's the, it's my empathy. It really is like my empathy with other people now that I just, I closed off. So it is, it's letting people, like my hardened heart has softened a ton. And sometimes I think it's too soft. Sometimes I'm like, Hey, get a little, uh, get a little hard, just back up in there. So you don't take it. But I do think like you're, you and your husband, Nicole, I think like having, being able to have that conversation and talk about it. And so, and for me, it's, you know, it's again, it's like not being married. It goes back to having like to my friends and my family. And so it's just whenever, if they, you know, it's like, if I'm going to be sassy, um, with even like my, you know, like my own family who I love dearly, but it's like my sassiness comes out and it's like, Oh man, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I just reverted back to like 16 year old Stevie, who, you know, like were any of us awesome at 16? I mean, you're just like, you just got the keys to the car and like you think you are, you know, queen of the town now, because you get to drive all around, you know, it's like the stuff like that. So it's like, I don't want to have that heart. I want to have, like, I don't want to have that sassy heart. I really want to have the loving heart. And so just having those conversations. Love that. So, all right, guys, well, that wraps us up. We hope you will join us next time for our second episode of this three-part series. 
We're going to be talking about some barriers again of a, of intimacy. And one of them is a judgmental attitude. Um, we're going to go deeper into that and also just talk a little bit more. You're going to understand there's so much here. There's just so much that blocks intimacy. So thank you guys. Thank you, Stevie. Thank you, Kristen. We love you guys. We will see you next time on Not Just a Hashtag. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.